Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the OrthoTalk podcast, episode number 18. This week, we are joined by a friend of ours, Dr. Dan Sun. Dan completed his residency training at Baylor College of Medicine and is now doing a arthroplasty fellowship in Boston. Dan has earned the nickname Trader Dan, given to him by Jay, and you'll hear why in this podcast. Dan is one of the very few residents to actually be able to successfully switch orthopedic training programs in the middle of his residency. Well, not really in the middle. He switched after his intern year at Galveston with us. And you'll hear why and the story behind it and what led to it and how he was actually able to accomplish that in the podcast. We also talk about how his fellowship's going and how he's doing 100 cases a month right now after COVID, which just boggles my mind. And uh, talk about starting a family and residency and some of the problems associated with that. So give it a listen. Hope you guys enjoy it. If you like what you hear, leave us five stars on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're listening to this podcast. If you don't like it, shoot us an email, uh, theorthopodcast at gmail.com, or just leave us a message on Twitter at orthotalkpod. And without further ado, Dr. Dan Sun. Hey, can we time out? All right, all good dudes, stop what you're doing. This is time out. This is the Orthotalk Podcast. Today we are doing a real conversation with an illustrious guest. Surgeons today are Asif Khalid and Jay Chen. Antibiotics, ANSEF, of course, what do we even ask? Fire risk, high due to lit conversations and explosive topics. Any questions or concerns? Nope. All right, we can go. Incision. All right, welcome to the Ortho Talk Podcast, episode 18. This is super exciting. We have an awesome guest. Um, Dan's son, a.k.a. Trader Dan, is here with us. He was a former resident with me at UTMB uh, for about a year, and then he transferred programs on us, but... Uh, there's still a lot of love there, and he's he's a phenomenal guy, and uh, we're lucky to have him this week. So welcome, Dan Sun. Uh, thanks for having me. Dan Sun, what, uh, I haven't seen you in a while, so um, I, mean, I know I saw you a few times after after you left us. Uh, what have you been up to in the last three or four years or five years? <laughs> well, I finished residency up at Baylor, um, and then now I'm at uh, New England Baptist during uh, joint fellowship in Boston, and then still don't know what my plans are yet for next year. It's pretty cool. So you're you're what one month into fellowship now? Yeah, one month into fellowship. How's that going, <clears throat> dude? It's crazy. This hospital is so busy. Um, when I interviewed, it was like the highest volume hospital, numbers wise, and so I just I keep a. a um, tracker of all my cases and as of today I, I'm at 102. Holy crap. Dude, one month in? Yeah one You're month on in. You're on pace for like 1,200. Yeah. How many cases did you have? Jay. I, I was really bad about logging cases um, as usual sure. but um, I would say probably about 500. Yeah we and they were I had probably just under just under four hundred, I think, with like the COVID shutdown yeah. kind of screwed me over. But so you're yeah. you're gonna get that in like a couple months. Yeah. So are they are they running like three rooms or something? It's two it's two rooms, but they're good about just flipping back to back to back. They run like a ton of PAs that just close and do orders. So we're really just there to operate, which is kind of nice. Um, is it a private practice? They have like a, uh, they have like a, it's not like a county insurance, but it's Mass Health, which is um, kind of like a public insurance. And mm-hmm. so we run a clinic 
out of there, but we're only assigned to it for two months out of the year. So, yeah, there are some days where it's, if there's not a lot of attendings operating, then you can, it's kind of like a free day. So you can work on research or go to clinic or do whatever you want on those days. But um, since COVID, I think <clears throat> kind of created this huge backlog of cases, all the attendings have been super busy. And so um, we haven't really had a whole lot of days like that really. So it's like OR every day out there. Yeah, it's like OR every day. Wow. It is busy, man. Especially like when you're operating five days a week and doing like, I mean, we probably average five to six cases a day. I mean, not average, but, you know, that's a typical day. Yeah. And so it actually gets pretty tiring at the end. <laughs> Jay's got a teddy bear project in his background. <laughs> oh, that's funny. It's, uh, it's my little boy here. He, uh, he wants to say hi. Hi, Bill. Yeah. So how many? What what some of your cases are uh, are revisions? Like, are you doing a lot of revision joints? Um, let me see. I can pull it up. I think it's around ten percent are revisions. Uh, but you know, like when you're doing so many cases, ten percent at Baptist ends up being pretty similar to your overall number of revisions done at some other places, just because we get. Yeah, I'm running around 10% right now. Um, but I mean, 10% of like what's going to be close to a thousand is still a ton of revisions. Yeah, it's like a hundred. So that's pretty sick. <laughs> uh, what what uh, what have been? No, that's that's good. What what have been challenges uh, coming into fellowship? You know, coming. Uh, one thing you got. Uh, well, I was going to say, like, the first couple of days, you feel like an intern all over again. Yeah. I don't know if I you guys felt that. felt that way or not. Like, it's a brand new EM. I had to adjust a brand new EMR. Yep. You don't know anybody. You don't know any of the attendings' preferences for anything. Like, you're just relearning the whole system all over again. <clears throat> Whereas at the end of the year, you kind of feel like, you know, you're, you know the whole hospital. Yeah. Right no, it took, it took me about, like, a week to figure out how to actually get from place to place. Yeah. Especially if you're covering multiple facilities. You know, just it can take some time. I remember yeah. that. How many, how many attendees do you have? Um, I think we have like 10 to 12 that we rotate between. Yeah. Um, so they're split, up into, they're split up into different teams. So like there's uh, about two fellows assigned to each team. So you just cover um, each team based on like who's operating that day or whatever. Yeah. So the thing about joints fellowship, I never really get understood is like, do you guys, because so much of it is like implant based. Do you guys just like see every implant and that's how like you guys know all this stuff? Because every, every joints person I talk to can like pick out the specific like, like stem or cup or like, like femur or tibia and they just like know exactly what it is and like all the downsides of everything. Yeah. Whoa, mofros for us online, but um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, we we definitely see. Sorry, you froze on my on my uh, Zoom part. But we definitely see a ton of different implants, and you're right. Like knowing all the different little things about each one, a lot of that comes from using it. But I feel like Joints also has a ton of literature out there about like every single implant design and whatever. And some of those guys just have all that stuff memorized 
What's what? Uh, do you have a favorite implant yet? <laughs> no, not yet. Not yet. What made you decide to do joints? Um, I just wanted to. Uh, I mean, I like the open surgeries as opposed to like the arthroscopic stuff. Um, and I just wanted to know that if I was going to do a surgery, I was going to be really, really good at it. And obviously joints, you know, basically people say you only do four different surgeries for the rest of your life, pretty much, even though obviously it can get kind of crazy. But, you know, once you've done so many primary hips and knees after a while, like I think as long as you keep at it, you can make sure that you're doing a really, really good job at each of them. Um, I didn't want to be doing some procedures that I was only doing like once or twice a year or something like that. You're you're a West Coast guy, right? Yeah. So yeah. you went from California to Texas to Boston. How, and it's not even cold there yet, right? Uh, dude, it's been nice. Actually, it started dipping into like the 60s and like low 70s. I was telling people it was getting kind of chilly and there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So what what do you what's the what's next for you? Have you figured it out? Do you have any no, idea? No, my my wife's gonna start um her job at Tufts in a couple of weeks. Over mm -hmm. here, she got a job as Tufts faculty. Nice. So um we decided that she's gonna have to see how much she likes it. And if she likes it, then we'll try and stick around here. But if not, we'll just start looking elsewhere. Yeah. So do you know like preference on like joining a private group or like going academic or anything like that? Uh, no, I haven't really. I've been trying to figure that stuff out yet, but I haven't really fully. It's, it's kind of tough right now. Cause I, it's, it's weird because now I'm in the same job search as like the pe like people a year behind me because yeah. of COVID. And uh, it's, I don't know, it's, it's the market's still just kind of like wishy-washy. Like you can, you can get like decent private jobs, I feel. Yeah. Um, but if you're trying to get like hospital employed or academic jobs, it's, it's still just kind of wishy-washy. So I don't know. Apparently there's going to be a vaccine in two months. Did you hear that? Oh, I saw some rumors about that, but I mean, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Apparently the CDC said, said we're getting a vaccine at the end of October. So maybe that'll help stuff. But I don't know. All, all these hospitals have just kind of like hit like crazy. Yeah. That's why I'm surprised you guys are doing like so many cases still. Like, so when yeah. we, when we started back up, in fellowship um it was probably may i want to say like may is probably when we started doing elective surgeries again and all we did were joints like it was it was the worst sports fellowship month of my life it was just like all <laughs> hips and knees and uh, like, I, I was about i was like I, I need to quit i gotta go do something else but um but yeah that that dried up probably in a couple of weeks so i don't know i'm it's good, nice that you guys are still going strong yeah, I mean, we're lucky that Boston and, like, the New England area has been taking it really seriously. So I think their numbers have been good compared to everywhere else. Definitely compared to Houston, I mean. Yeah. When we left Houston, it was, like, 2,000 new cases just, you know, on the team. Oh, so, you, yeah, you left right in that little spike. Yeah. And then we get over to Boston and, like, it's, you know, low 200s to 300 oh, wow. every day. So it's almost, you know, it's pretty well controlled over here. So how, Were you how, worried that they wouldn't let you in from Houston, from Texas? No, you just have to quarantine for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Did they make you do that? Yeah, and they wouldn't hire us. I think all the fellows had to get COVID tested, but I definitely had to get COVID tested. So how do they enforce that quarantine? Uh, they don't. It's a, it's a lot of like... The honor system? Yeah, the honor system. <laughs> 
And like, if you leave Massachusetts to go to New Hampshire or Maine or something, they also want you to test COVID negative before you go to these other places. Oh, geez. Um, I don't think that's enforced like officially either. It's just, they just hope that you do the right thing and res- kind of respect it. Huh. Yeah, I didn't think about that. I'm supposed to move up to New York next week. I don't know if they have the same quarantine rule or not. but Oh, yeah, uh, they probably do, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I should probably figure that out. <laughs> you just get anybody, get anybody tested. Yeah, sure. I should. I should. I thought yeah. I had, and then I, I did the swab, and the swab was negative. But, um, like, I was, I, I've been coughing for, like, probably six weeks now. Yeah, I still had I still had smell and I could still taste stuff, but uh yeah, I don't know what I had, but I, I kinda wanna get the antibody test. So did they swab you or did they do the antibody test for y'all? Um they swabbed us. Yeah. Was it was it bad? Uh so actually it totally depends on who's doing it. So I actually got swabbed one time in Houston, um, because my wife kept getting exposed to people uh-huh. randomly. Um and the Houston test, they didn't swab it that deep up the nose. Like, it was uncomfortable, but yeah. it wasn't that bad. But when I got to Boston and they did it, like, oh, man, this is really a not fun. So it totally depends on who's, who's swabbing your nose. Yeah, like, so I, I, had, I had the test in New Orleans. It was, like, it was more like your first one. Like, I, everyone was freaking out about it, and I was scared. And, like, I was sitting on my hand so I didn't punch the lady and, like, but it, it wasn't that bad. It just like kind of made me tear up a little bit. So now I'm wondering if maybe they just didn't go deep enough. Yeah, that's it's definitely possible. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Apparently they're doing like a saliva test too. Like there's a saliva test that came out for the NBA and the NFL. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Hopefully that can like, you know, take take these stupid swabs away. I don't know. The deeper they go, the more likely they're gonna implant a microchip into your brain. That's what I've read. Five D, bro. It's all five D. Yeah. So, if a vaccine comes out in two months or whenever it will be, are you guys going to be first in line to sign up, or are you guys going to wait and see? I don't think we'll have a choice. They're going to make us get vaccinated? I'm sure they will. They make us get the flu shot. I'm sure they'll make us get this. Especially since you'll be in a hospital, and yeah, that way they don't have to keep tabs on you quite as much, I bet. Yeah. If If they didn't, would you guys still sign up? Probably because I probably already had it. <laughs> What's the worst that could happen? Yeah. Am I, I gonna, have am I gonna get autism? <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, I would too. I've I already have kids, so if it makes me sterile, then it's not a huge deal anyway. That <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't be the worst thing. Oh, it is. So you were so when when that Houston spike was going on, were you still working? uh not not really because it was like the end of my chief year i mean i we were still going in every day but was it as bad as they said like they said that adults were going to to uh, texas children's is that true no not to my (laughs) knowledge not really i mean texas children's technically opened for adults if they needed it but i know i don't think they used it but they they might have um Definitely, I was on my VA rotation for like the last four months of residency, and definitely the VA um, did a pretty quick shutdown of all elective stuff, uh-huh. and then they had like a certain quarantined off area for COVID beds specifically, and then I know um, Memorial Herman ended up converting 
certain hospitals into almost like COVID hospitals. So like, yeah, so some of them were more reserved for COVID patients and then- They were just in everyone else. Yeah, and everyone else would be transferred to different places within the Herman system. It's not a bad way to do it. Yeah, and they had so many hospitals, you know, like yeah, they could throw all over the place. That off. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, you know, it's never, ever, you know, North Carolina never got so bad to the point where I noticed anything other than the people that were screening you at the door and the fact that everyone was wearing masks. But, you know, it never got to the point where hospital beds were full and, you know, ICUs were full. Um, so thankfully that never happened in North Carolina. It sounds like it didn't quite happen in Houston either. So hopefully we're past all that. But I think I think the ICUs were getting pretty close in Houston, right? <coughs> like at Methodist, I heard Methodist was pretty close to capacity. Yeah, I think it was getting, it was definitely getting up there. They have that website, tmc.edu, and they were doing a pretty good, good job at updating it every day and stuff like that. Um, yeah. I mean, that center just has so many beds that they can convert into ICUs. It would have had to have been you know, catastrophic yeah. for them to really run out of space. Yeah. Um, just, how, do you guys, how do you guys see this pandemic ending or playing out? So option A, you know, we all get vaccinated. It kind of disappears. Option B, the vaccine kind of works so-so, but uh, the virus lingers around in our population forever. Or um, option C, everyone kind of dies off. So, what, what, what do you guys? What do you guys think? A, B, or C? How, how's this going to play out? Are we going to get rid of the virus? Is it going to get rid of us? Or are we going to kind of just live with it for the foreseeable future? Uh, I think it's going to be something like B, where yeah. the vaccine works on certain strands. But I think they've already shown that people can get reinfected with just a slightly different strand of COVID nineteen. So I think it's going to end up being something like the flu. Yeah, I don't, I don't know much about vaccines or colds or anything, but like from the medicine people I talked to, they said like this year you'll probably need to get the vaccine and then get a booster. And then you're just, this is going to be like a yearly vaccine, like the flu. And we're just going to have to vaccinate against coronavirus now, like whatever different strands pop up every year. So I don't know, probably be, I don't think we're all going to die, Jay. I don't think so either. I was just wondering if you guys thought so. So <laughs> I wanted you to to admit it on the air that you had that idea. <laughs> but no, that's all. That's all good. I think we'll all survive this. And um, so, tra- Trader Dan, why do we why do we call you Trader Dan? Give us some background. I don't know. I don't even remember you guys calling me that. We never did. He just made this up. <laughs> What? what? I never called him Trader Dan. Am I, am I the only one who calls him? Yes. <laughs> only one. So why do you call him Trader Dan? Yeah, why do you call me Trader Dan? I don't know. Why do you think? <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, I was in second year, and you came in as an intern, and you were like so cool. We we're like, yeah, we got him. He's 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 awesome, and. Uh, I never yeah, worked with Dan. Yeah. <laughs> huh? So again, you you keep saying like we. I never worked with Dan as a as a two. It was only you. Am I the only one who's ever worked with with Dan? No, there's a lot of you, and there's a lot of um, Zubair. <laughs> oh yeah, Zubair. Maybe that's why I'm I, I call him Trader Dan. <laughs> so, 
what uh you're one of the you're probably the only person we've had on our podcast the only person i know yeah transferring programs very infrequent so tell us kind of what went into that decision and what you were looking at and and uh and why you why you left us (laughs) (laughs) why you betrayed us why Why the traitor why'd you stab us in the heart um i mean there wasn't really a whole lot to it besides the fact that i was down in galveston and my wife was up in Houston, so our commutes kind of sucked. I mean, my commute wasn't bad because, you know, there's no traffic between Clear Lake and Galveston, really. But, I mean, she was driving with traffic from Clear Lake into Houston and then back again. So her commute was like an hour and a half, and she hated it. <laughs> and I would, like, try and make her feel better every day and then be like, oh, your commute's not that bad. Your commute's not that bad. <laughs> and once we moved to Houston, I was like, oh, yeah, your, your commute was terrible. <laughs> How did, how did you um, how did you come up across the opportunity? Like you know the fact there was a position open. Uh, is there a ne- is there a network or a, a way to find those positions? For anyone listening who's thinking about leaving their program, you know what <laughs> are there? We're, our podcast appeals to all listeners, so just try to cover all the bases here. I think what it was was Baylor posted something on OrthoGate, and I was just happening to like look around there because I was bored or something like that and then I saw the posting and then um, I told my wife about it and she was like oh you should definitely apply for that because that would make our lives significantly easier if we just worked you know like 10 feet away from each other pretty much that's how close those hospitals are so um, I didn't apply as soon as I saw it I met with Lindsay, who's the chair at UTMB first, and kind of asked him, like I told him that I was considering doing it and if it was okay with him and whatever. And dude, Lindsay was actually really supportive. He was he was kind of like all about it. He was like, you should do whatever you can to make your home life situation like smooth and positive. So Lindsay was all about it. Which is um, funny because he lives in the med center. <laughs> yeah, he makes that commute yeah. every he day. He makes that drive. <laughs> yeah. For those that don't know, it's like an hour drive from Galveston to Houston. So, and the the way back is like really, really bad. That was a really long drive. Um, and then I knew a couple of the guys who had matched my same year at Baylor. So I asked them what the dynamic was. Like, did they want to have another classmate? Or, you know, like, was I going to apply into a situation where I wasn't really wanted by the class or anything like that? And they said, you know, like they were all close, but they were down for another classmate pretty much. So then once Lindsay said it was okay and I knew that it was gonna be like a good situation going into it, if I got it, then I applied. Um, and it was actually really tough to track Lindsay down. Cause I mean, yeah. you know, <laughs> that, man is, that man is elusive. So <laughs> I ended up just trying to spend as much time as I could in his OR. Like anytime I had downtime or free time, I would go into Lindsay's OR and just like, praying that he was gonna be there i'd hang out there for like hours a day just trying to catch him to get some of the stuff set up um and then i think baylor ended up interviewing like four or five people for the spot um i don't think there were very many people who were also like looking to leave their residency program and had like a very i'm not gonna say like the other people didn't have good reasons to do it but i think mine was the one that made the most sense which probably yeah. well, I mean, it, it's usually 
usually there's a reason you're leaving the program. Yeah. Like, like and it's, it's not usually the commute between two. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Well, what was funny was one of the guys who's um, working at TCH, he actually lives in Clear Lake and his wife is, I think she either is or was the chair of the plastics department down in Galveston. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. So when he was, he was like, oh, like, why do you want to change to up here or whatever? And I started telling him about the commute and how terrible it was. He's like, dude, I make that commute every day, man. (laughs) Well, I don't know what to say about that. I I can't do it. Good for you. (laughs) Yeah. So So, why was the spot open? Uh, they just expanded up to needed to have six for a while, but they just got the approval, I guess. Well, nowadays it's really lucky for people who are making that commute because they can listen to the Ortho Talk podcast. And it makes <laughs> a lot, a lot more tolerable. But, yeah. Exactly. Um, did you? What were? Did you have like internal turmoil about you know breaking the news to your classmates at UTMB and? And your uh, your cool uh, upper level resident, uh, who was so heartbroken. <laughs> yeah, I did feel bad that I was leaving you guys hanging for sure, especially because I had no idea who was going to be replacing me or if you'd ever find somebody to replace me. Yeah. <laughs> well, what, what, what happened to that, that spot, bro? That, it's cursed. It had a lot of. <laughs> you cursed the spot. High standard to live up to, but just you know, something as a placeholder. It was um, it was a curved spot. We we weren't ever able to adequately fill it. So um, <laughs> we filled it for two a month. I think it was less than a month. Yeah. So we had a guy, uh, which is crazy in. because this is an orthopedic surgery spot, right? And you can't find someone to fill it. It's crazy. We uh, we got someone to transfer in. Um, and I guess this, this individual was not quite committed to the specialty. So I think within a week or two, you know, I, I had worked with this individual uh, once or twice in the OR and, you know, he didn't quite seem super, super interested in what was going on. And I think he realized in a few weeks that, you know, his heart wasn't in, in surgery. So then very quickly the spot became vacant again. And uh, I don't think we ever, made any more attempts at filling it. Is that right, Mo? I have no idea after that, but I just know that that guy lasted for like two weeks probably. Yeah. And then he just kind of disappeared. And we never saw him again. And then the spot never got filled. (laughs) It's a cursed spot for sure. Sorry, guys. So what was was that like first day like at Baylor? Yeah. Uh, Oh, man. It was, man, let me tell you, it was terrifying. Um, really? <laughs> yeah, well, they wanted, so I transferred, and my first day was July 1st, and they wanted to put me on call at Ben Taub, the trauma hospital. Yeah. Like, on July 4th. And <laughs> uh, so that was, like, originally how the call schedule was made. And then I guess the chiefs took a step back and were like, it's probably not a good idea to have this guy <laughs> brand new to the program take call on like a busy holiday <laughs> three days into his new position um but also just 
you know, intern year at UTMB was very OR and floor based and not very consult based. Yeah. And at yeah. Baylor, intern year is very consult based, more so consult and floor based more so than anything else. So they see as interns like a ton of consults. And then I, as an intern at UTMB, didn't see like nearly as many as my class, my new classmates had. Mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of the overnight call at Baylor is like, there's, there's an upper level, but they're operating. They were operating a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. So like, if you had a question, yeah, you could run it by them, but like they weren't really immediately available to, you know, hold your hand through like a distal radius reduction if you were having trouble or whatever. And I think my first call night, I mean, I saw like a bunch of different consults that I, I don't think I had ever dealt with intern year. And so it was yeah. a lot of just, uh, it was a lot of learning on the fly and then quickly running up and making sure everything looked okay with someone who knew more than I did. Yeah, I, I think, so from what I've heard, the two programs, there's a lot of similarities, but there's also like some pretty big differences too in that like, especially I think the trauma is one, right? I mean, Jay, I think it's fair to say like Island, like 90% of the time gets what level one and a half trauma really. Right, then we yeah. get some we get some big stuff, but like most of the time it's pretty chill. Um, yeah, it doesn't ben, compare to you know the busy Houston programs yeah. for volume. Bentov. I mean, Bentov's Bentov, right? I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> there's not much to say. Um, yeah, I don't, it's it's interesting. Like, I we had, I mean, the two programs have some cross like we crossed paths like a couple times at like MD Anderson yeah. and. Uh, children so it was it was kind of interesting to see the the different dynamic of the residents um going on there i don't know jay what what do you think you know when i was in high school there were two high schools in my town east chapel hill high school and chapel hill high school and uh, i went to east chapel hill high school and there's a huge rivalry between the two and uh we had a we had a point guard um coincidentally his name was was dan as well and uh, he transferred to Chapel High School. Oh, he was a trader too. <laughs> oh, he, trader. he transferred to Chapel High School. Uh, his name was uh, Dan Daniel Bullock, and we played a lot of hoops together back in the day. But um, so in that his senior year, he transferred back to East Chapel Hill. I was already gone by then. He was, uh, I think, two years younger than me. Um, so long story short, I guess I was always waiting for Dan's son to transfer back <laughs> to UTMB, and it never happened. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, um, it, was, it was. I'm actually really glad that you know that decision worked for you and your and your family because what I try to tell, I've always tried to tell my junior residents is uh, that's that should be the most important thing uh, in all honesty. So there's uh, there's one guy in particular who's also of the same um, complexity as you and I, Dan, um, <laughs> who uh, who I've had to had to tell that to. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we're don't a, get don't get divorced. We're a, we're a hardworking uh, group. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, you know, everything's worked out for for a reason, and I think you're exactly where you want to be, and you and your wife are happy. You have a kid, right? Yeah, man. You we just had. A, I mean, she's almost eight months old now. But that's, that's wow. crazy. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. Um, it's definitely been interesting having kids. Totally. I don't know. Everything's totally new to them and new to you, and uh, it's kind of cool watching them experience life for the first time and all that stuff. 
So let me ask you this. Um, I've never experienced residency without a kid. Mo has never experienced residency with a kid <laughs> or, or fellowship. I've never had training without a kid. He's never had training with a kid. You've seen both. So tell me what, what it's like once you have that kid and, and how you're adjusting and stuff. Um, well, for residency, it was tough because uh, when we had the kid, we, I was um, at Bentov as a chief, which is uh, pr uh, pretty busy, probably like one of our busier rotations as a chief. Um, luckily, I had a really, there's two chiefs at a time on the rotation. So luckily, one of my classmates, um, who's really good, and we were able to like balance each other's schedules out a little bit. So I was able to get home and kind of help my wife out with some more stuff. Um, and then after that, COVID hit. So that was like, <laughs> actually worked out great for me because it was almost, you know, just free paternity leave for, for a couple of months when basically nothing was happening. Um, I mean, I still had to go. you know, at a bare minimum at that point in time. Um, yeah, I'm back now. Would you, do you think, uh, uh, I took a week of vacation. I worked for the entire time I was at Baylor. Wait, what? So, there are no other residents. Some of them had Baylor? already had kids, but as for yeah, or before I got there, basically. I feel like I feel like at UTMB we have one like every few months, like you know. Someone having a kid. <laughs> we like some like a resident has a new. So just in the last year or two, you know, you can think of a lot. Like Kaufman's had a kid, um, Koski's had a kid, um, and there's several more. Kessie had a kid at one point. Um, Patton had a kid. Not Patton had another. a kid. Yeah. Oh, Patton's so, got two kids now. Yeah, now he's got two. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I would, I would say that we're the more family-friendly program. Just, put, just putting it out there. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's that's cool. So there's a new thing I read that the ACGME was going to mandate uh, six weeks of maternity slash paternity leave, and this no, would be oh, right, like dang. right for for men and women. So. So this would be a mandate now. So if this were, you know, if this were passed last year, you would have had a mandatory six weeks off. Huh. <laughs> uh, better. Family planning, man. <laughs> family planning. Well, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting, that's an interesting mandate because like how and uh, hold you back to do some more stuff like um, I know at my wife's program she's OBGYN so a bunch of them have kids before they graduate um, and there are a couple of them who will take 
six weeks, which is, I guess, if you take six weeks, they don't hold you back for anything. But if you start taking like three to four months, they'll ask a lot of those residents to stay back for a rotation or two, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, that works for their specialty because, you know, a ton of OBs don't ever do fellowship. But for ortho, I mean, everyone's doing a fellowship. And so you can't really, you know, it just doesn't really work out the same asking someone to stay back for two months because then you're basically telling them you can't apply yeah. for the fellowship. Yeah. Also, I would think like, you know, for, for orthopedics, you know, like you said, most of us do a fellowship. So if we were to miss six weeks in a certain, you know, I'll say I'm not going to do a spine procedure for the rest of my life. You know, if I were to miss you the think. spine, yeah, right. That's what I think. But um, you're, you know, you're at the spine capital of the world. I just, I just don't think it would really have such a big effect on on my training. But for OB, yeah. if if what you're that. saying is true and they're not doing fellowships, then you know, six weeks is actually pretty significant to miss, right? Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's a good thing about the fellowship, not making you, uh, not making the six weeks a little less significant. So do you, do, you yeah. keep in, do you keep in touch with your classmates much from UTMB? Uh, yeah, I saw Micah a couple times on interviews, and I text Micah a whole bunch. Yeah, so um, do you know his situation? Yeah, he's a, dude, he's in LA living the dream, man. Micah Kinda. walked into it. Well, yeah, I mean, California <laughs> messed up his license for yeah. sure. But, I mean, if... That aside, Michael walked into a good, really good situation. Oh yeah, for sure. But but yeah, so so his license pretty much got delayed for I guess I, still maybe I don't know. Um, but apparently, according to to Comley, uh, one of your other classmates, he might have to do another month of fellowship at the end. Which again, joints you're doing like four cases. So does a month really going to make that much difference? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, who knows. I mean, I guess it's up to the program and whatever they feel, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think some, <clears throat> I think for something like joints, I think a lot of fellowships have certain months where you're very heavy on the revision experience and other months where the revision experience is kind of just like tacked on to your primary experience. So like Baptist there's and so, you know, like I could, potentially see it where like if you missed your entire rotation with that team Mm -hmm. you know they may want you to stick around I'm not saying that they would do it but I'm just saying like I can see sort of the justification behind like oh you have seen a lot of the really complex stuff like why don't we'd prefer it if you stuck around for another month and you just like you know really dug deep into the more complicated cases and that was part of our COVID thing too is when we were like a kind of quarantined or on like home isolation or whatever was they they had to really document like what we were doing so we were doing a bunch of telehealth visits just to like say that you know I mean one to see patients but two so that they could document that we're actually doing some educational activity so if like you know if it actually did hit the fan and uh you know we had to shut down for months and you know would use it to justify us graduating instead of having to you know do another three months yeah yeah definitely I think when you're when you're in training and you're in the middle of it, you feel like every case is, is so important and you have to see as much as you as you can and do as much as you can. And to some extent that's true, but I'm pretty happy that they passed some kind of a mandate because you know, I think I think for families it's it's really important to have 
both sets of parents home for more than just just one week you know for the father and uh we, you know when i had when i had a kid you know i, I wanted to be at work i wanted to do cases and i wanted to uh do reductions with mo in the er and <laughs> there, was, there was nothing there's nothing really stopping me from doing that uh but i think that you know in the long run that does put a strain on the family and there's more of a burden on uh, your spouse who who may be doing more of the work at home initially, um, but we're we're all too, I guess we're all too. I don't know, scared's not the word, but we're all too committed to work to uh, to take that time off for ourselves. And if the culture is that way, no one wants to be the first guy to say, you know, I actually want two weeks off instead of one week. So yeah, yeah I think passing some kind of a mandate is probably uh, probably helpful in the long run. So I don't know if six weeks is the right number. Um, you know, for, for females, it may be different because their body actually goes through uh, childbirth and, and breastfeeding and all those, those physical changes. Um, but I do think that uh, it's, it's good that they have placed some kind of a mandate to, to really protect us from ourselves in some way. Those, those are yeah, my thoughts on that. No, I, I, I totally agree with you. I think most guys who are in ortho don't want to be the, you know, they don't want to be seen as the guy who's trying to bounce out of the OR early or, you know, skimp on any work. Everyone's very committed to working hard and learning the most they can. So, you know, mandates just, it kind of takes that distress away of looking like you're trying to escape from something when you're really not trying to do that at all. You're still interested. It's just, you have a, you know, you have a new yeah. kid you have to take care of at home. Yeah, exactly. That's what it is. I think, I think for women too, right? I mean, women have like an extra spotlight on them. Because they're already have to, you know, they're gonna they're they have to do the whole pregnancy thing, and then they're gonna have to go home and take care of the kid. And then when they come back, they're gonna have to, or many times they have to breastfeed their their kid too. And it's a, uh, <laughs> it's 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 kind of the same thing. Like nobody wants to seem like they're trying to get out of work because they're not. But I mean, at some point you gotta take care of your family. I don't know. I, I haven't been there. I don't know when I will, but when I do, I'll let you guys know how it is. <laughs> Maybe they'll mandate three months. Yeah. But, <laughs> I'm already out of so does it even matter probably not <laughs> yeah well once you get the vaccine you'll be uh, sterile so you won't have to <laughs> but um, you know one thing too is uh, a tons of studies suggest that breastfeeding is better than formula uh, I think we all learned that one time in med school a long time ago um, it's very it's very difficult to do to, to consistently pump when you're in residency and uh, in terms of in terms of milk flow, this is not something I'm I have firsthand experience with, uh, <laughs> I of, but um, just secondhand experience and thirdhand experience. But I think it definitely um, it's not as easy as if you're at home and able to able to breastfeed. So um, there goes my soft. Look, look at us, uh, three three ortho guys talking about breastfeeding and pregnancy for like ten minutes, and you'd be proud of us. We're, we're trying to understand we're trying to understand <laughs> hashtag so and yeah my wife my wife did dental school uh, right after she had her first kid when she was in dental school and um she did not get time and this is actually cool because i could actually talk about this and not get her dental school in trouble because i don't know why any dentist will listen to an orthopedic podcast um but they actually did not give her um i don't think i don't think they gave her any time off I'm not even. I'm not even kidding. Like, really? Luckily, our daughter was born uh, December 11th, and winter break was right around the corner. Literally, 
okay. the story of her birth is that uh, we were at a holiday party and uh, we just got back from the party. It was midnight and that's when my wife went into labor. And literally that was the last um, day of classes, I think. So she yeah. gave birth. Yeah, she gave birth the next day. And she had like, I think maybe three weeks off just because of winter break. But they didn't give her any more time after that. So she had to go right back to being a full-time dental student with a new kid. So luckily I had, I had taken the MPH year that year in anticipation of something like this happening with my <laughs> awesome foresight. Um, so I was able to help out a lot more than I was with my second kid. Uh, so we were able to make it work, but there's just, there's a lot of pressures on, on women who are in professional schools and, and professional training. And we should be trying to be more sensitive to that. So there's my sensitive speech. Let's go back to <laughs> breaking bones and fixing things. So, Jay, we we need to talk about your badge. We didn't get to talk about this yet. <laughs> so, so how how was your first day back at school? Oh man, um, you want me to talk about that or my badge? They're, Both. They're, well, um, so my badge and residency. I'm pretty sure they somehow found a high school yearbook of me and used that picture <laughs> because I look like a high school kid in my badge. So yesterday was my first day of uh, the rest of my life, uh, first day of employment. And it's awesome being at the end of your training and you have so much excitement to start. So um, I actually had, uh, had nothing to do. <laughs> um, my orientation isn't until next week and neither is my epic <laughs> training. So I literally cannot get anything, cannot start getting work done, even if I wanted to, which I, which I do want to. One thing about orthopedic surgeons is, at least for me, and I know a lot of you guys, um, I don't really like sitting around and doing nothing. I get really antsy, and I just end up wasting my time. So, uh, so I drove down to the office um, just to see, see what I could do with onboarding and, and to meet people and to show my face. And it was really cool seeing uh, seeing some of the old faculty that are that are now my partners and seeing some of the old residents. It was it was a blast and meeting the some of the new ladies in the office. Uh, one of the first <laughs> things I wanted to do was um, get a new badge because I knew that if they gave me my old badge with my high school picture, you know, I'd get made fun of every time. So literally, the first thing I did after I met people in the office was I went to the badge office and I got. I got a new picture taken. So, so there's my there's my picture. What do you have to say about it, Mo? You seem pretty curious about it. Uh, I thought that was your residency picture. Well, there we go. There we go. <laughs> I'm moving up from a high school kid to a resident. So, no, I like it. Um, I like it. I uh, think it, it looks very professional. No, you don't. But <laughs> thanks for the thanks for the compliment. Um, but seriously, you know, being back in. You know, the way you feel between fellowship and residency, or sorry, fellowship and, and attending hood is you just, at least for me, I feel just a lot of uh, inner energy that I'm just trying to try to expend because, you know, I want to I want to get to work. I want to start seeing patients and, and doing surgeries again. So that's the hardest part for me, I think, is just being patient and, uh, and waiting for those things to happen. So like I said, you know, I don't have orientation and epic training until next week. And in the meantime, I just have to occupy myself with making templates and making preference cards and, um, and meeting with vendors and More. Doing, I have to write a syllabus. Uh, you had like five dinners last week. Yeah, <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't really added to too many to, to that. But 
Um, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it other than just showing up and seeing patients. There's there's a whole lot of paperwork and credentialing and yeah, that's the stuff they don't tell you. That's the stuff yeah. they don't realize is all the little clinic notes and like uh, uh, templates and uh, preference cards and all that kind of stuff that you just kind of take for granted. And then one day someone asks you what you want and you don't have an answer. <laughs> you don't yeah. know. Nobody teaches you uh, that stuff. So how are you going to do your clinic notes? Are you going to have a large piece of paper where you where the <laughs> circle dot phrases and then <laughs> into your notes? I don't know where you got that idea, but it sounds pretty good. It sounds like um, a genius idea. That's telling someone that that's such a smart idea. Like you don't really? have to worry about what's written at all. Yep. Paul. It's all automated. It's, it's yeah. Yeah, it's automated. I'm not, um, I don't think my brain works that way. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm not but, a uh, Jay, actual did, Terminator. <laughs> did, did, you, did you set up a clinic note yet? Yeah. So actually, so today in the afternoon, you know, I was telling you I had this Zoom meeting with the coders. Uh-huh. Uh, so we talked a lot about that and then the coders yeah it's like this mysterious them, group of guys that's in a dark office and just like bill all day yeah well they have names i you know, I <laughs> you know, know. The they coders. didn't have faces they didn't show me their faces <laughs> but they had names um but i had a template that i was already working on and i showed it to them and uh for the most part it was pretty good but there were some slight modifications they they wanted me to make um so so I need to work on that, but basically, yeah, uh, yeah, Dan, I'm gonna have a bunch of templates for clinic and, and that kind of thing. It won't be dot phrases on a sheet of paper that you circle. Um, yeah, but it'll be it'll be something. Yeah. What's interesting is in I don't know if you know this. Uh, you know, in 2021, they're changing the way they do their their billing and coding for a clinic. So. You know, right now a lot of it depends upon meeting certain criteria for the H and P. Um, and then for the physical exam, and then medical decision making, and all three factors kind of play into it, whether or not you can build a level three, four, or five. But in 2021, they're changing it to where the only thing that matters is your medical decision making. So no longer do you have to have templates where you put in, you know, eight physical exam organ systems that you know, just yeah. to fit a, a, a billing coding criteria. Oh, well, that's a smart change, it sounds like. It also yeah. sounds like it's going to be an OIT question next year. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I wonder how that's going to go. Yeah, because they just started doing the practice management questions, right? And now that's all going to change. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. That's going to be a nightmare. I'm so glad I don't have to take that test anymore. <laughs> God, those, yeah. those are some well, of like, the worst. Wait, go ahead. <laughs> I'm not going to out my OIT. Well, just, uh, on the one hand, I think that... <laughs> um, I think it will help in a way because... You know, let's 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 be honest. I, uh, we don't go into patient rooms and examine eight physical exam systems, like right. systems, and uh, very rarely do we go in there and do a review of systems for like you know seven or eight or nine, however many they require uh, systems or none. Yeah, or like, none. like uh, how many how many times? Honestly, how many times in your life have you done a complete review of systems, or even half of one? Yeah. Very, yeah, I would say never, never, very, <laughs> never. very rarely. There's one guy at TCH who used to make us do that kind of stuff. Though, do you remember that? No, um, I can't remember. His, he was the uh, former chairman at TCH. Uh, he went to, uh, he went yeah. to, oh, Indiana. Did he? Oh, I only, I think I only did his clinic like once, and I didn't do yeah. anything in that clinic. No, he would have you do everything, and then if you doc, so if you don't document like 
nearsightedness if they're wearing glasses. Like he would have you like document that, and then he would have he would have you write a plan for nearsightedness. So I would just write, I would write like um, refer to optometrist or something. So, but I think in the end, hopefully, this will get rid of a lot of fluff, you know, in our in our clinic notes, and that can be a good thing. The you know the bad thing is I don't know if they're going to change the criteria for medical decision making. So in order to bill a level four. Or are you going to have to have even more criteria than you would before? Yeah, I don't, I don't know the details on that yet. You know, in some cases, in some some conditions that we're building level fours in, uh, we may not get to build those level fours in the future. Whether or not that's right or wrong, that's up for debate. You know, depending upon the complexity of the case, but uh, it's going to be harder to rig the note to justify a level of billing going forth. I think. Hmm. Yeah, I guess we'll find out. There's an AOS webinar. We're recording this on a Wednesday, but tomorrow there's one on basically just this whole topic on the changes to the E&M criteria. We um, released the podcast on Monday, so if you're yeah. listening, you would have already missed it. <laughs> but we'll, we'll let you know next week how that is. <laughs> All right, Dan, Dan, last question. What's your favorite bone? Uh, the femur. God, man, that's three God, in a row. Blood surgeons are so... No, last oh, week. Last thing we had a sacrum, man. That's right. That's three out of four. It's it's the joints. It was all joints. Yeah, it was all joint joint surgeons. surgeons. That's that's like the only bone they know once they decide to do joints. <laughs> that's like the only bone they think exists. Yeah. You so, were quick with that one too. You must have, you must have thought about this one before. You must have daydreamed about it. What's yeah. your least What's your least favorite bone? Uh, I don't know. Probably one of those one of the face bones. Cause I hate. I used to hate getting <laughs> one of the face bones, cannibals, <laughs> or something like that. It's like, dude, this this is ortho, but that's not the right bone. We don't that doesn't count, that. dude. I I guess it counts. I mean, technically, they're bones. Then you could say like your ear bones, like the little stones <laughs> in your ears. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I don't know why you would hate those. I mean, well, if you have problems with them, they cause you like you know, hearing problems and, you know, tinnitus or whatever. Huh? If you have a problem with those bones, can't you get, uh, don't you get vertigo and everything? If, you know, the yeah. little ossicles dislodge or something? Yeah, exactly. No, no, man. You're, you're asking me to go back, like, a long <laughs> time now. I have no idea. They'll probably be on your OIT next year, watch. <laughs> Not yours, but someone's. The ear bones and the face bones. All right, that's enough bones. All right, Dan, appreciate it, man. Thanks for coming. All right, Dan. Thank you, guys. Catch you later. Thanks for coming on. And that'll do it for us. Thanks to Dr. Sun for catching up with us for an hour. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. If you do, do us a favor and leave us five stars on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this episode. If you don't like what we're doing, shoot us an email, theorthopodcast at gmail.com, or send us a message on Twitter, at orthotalkpod. All of our episodes can be found at our website, orthotalkpod.com. We can also find this new thing that we're doing, Residency Rounds, where we try to feature different orthopedic residency surgery programs on our website and on Twitter. If you want your program featured, just shoot us a message on Twitter and we'll get that done for you. Very simple. You just have to fill out a survey. So if you're interested in that, shoot us a message. And uh, thank you guys for listening. We'll be back next week. And thank you for the opportunity.